Well, it is, like I said, it is a pleasure to be here with you today. Thank you so much for letting us share our hearts. And thank you so much for your partnership in missions. You have like a gazillion missionaries that you are partner with every month. And yeah, thank you for letting us join the family. Uh, we, we really appreciate that a lot. Like I said, we were worship pastors for a long time uh, up in the Cleveland area. And um, one night I was... I was, I was working out with my pastor, and I know that you can tell that I'm a really huge buff guy. We talked more um, than we lifted. And so that one night we were dreaming, and he, he was dreaming about what the future could be like and, and what it would look like for him and his family. And then he turned to me and he said, well, what, what, what do you want to do? Where are you going? What's... If up to that point, it was just be there at Harvest Ridge. I loved being there at that church. But out of my mouth came something very different. It was, if I, if I could be anywhere, if I could do anything, it would be building God's kingdom in Switzerland or Germany. I don't know what that looks like, but, but that's where I'd really like to be. And that came from a year that I spent in Europe, uh, 23, 24 years old. And I saw how dead the church was. I, I saw how just nothing was happening there. Like no life changed. No, no one opening up their hearts to the Lord. And, and then I came to... Ohio, and I, and I just saw how often God worked in people's lives and how he did so much in my time there as, as a worship pastor. So, you know, 24 to, what, 36 or something like that years old. And in and, and my mind, so often it would go back to, ah, God, like you did it. You're doing it here in America. Why weren't you doing it over there in Europe? Like, what's the problem? Like, what? Why don't I see you moving over there? Why didn't I see you moving over there? And then over time that became, God, if you can do it here in America, I know you can do it over in Europe. And then, then that turned into, God, if, if we can see it take part here in America, we would really like to be a part of seeing it take place and see you move in Europe. And so I went home that night and I, I, I walked up the the stairs on a warm summer night, and I, my kids were in bed, and my wife was on the couch, and I said, babe, what do you think? Like, what if, what if we were to go over to Germany or Switzerland and just see where God leads us? And she said yes. Sort of crazy. I was, I, was, I was surprised that she said yes when I asked her to marry me, but I was really surprised when she said yes to that one. Like, that was big. And so we just started down that, that trek of what it would look like for God to be a part of what God is doing there and to, and to jump in there. Um, so we're missionaries to Switzerland, and I know it's probably a little strange. It's not a normal place where you would say that, you know, missionaries to Switzerland. That's not a normal missions field. And so we have to talk about what missions is all about. And, and, and missions, like I just said a minute ago, is establishing the praise of God in the hearts of people all over the world. It's also, and, and part of that is reaching the people who are lost, because that echoes the heart of Jesus. Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save the lost. So who were who the lost? And the, the lost, the scripture says that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. All are outside of God's will and purpose for their lives. And so we all enter through that narrow gate, the cross of Jesus Christ. It, it, it doesn't matter our race. It doesn't matter gender. 
It doesn't matter socioeconomic status. None of that matters. We all enter through the cross of Jesus. And so in Switzerland, we have a country that is wealthy. It's, it's not the poor. And, and, and in missions, what we have to remember is that it is not exotic and poor that equal lost. Do you know what I mean? Like, like the, the person out on the river down in South America or the, you know, in the bush of Africa, the exotic... It's not the exotic and the poor that, that doesn't automatically equal lost. Just like rich and white doesn't equal saved. Like that sounds stupid even saying it, right? But in mission, like because we, we know that that's the case here in America. But in, in mission, sometimes it's a paradigm shift because honestly, like if I take a picture of my friend and I over in Germany or Switzerland and him in his skinny jeans and him, like it doesn't, not a lot of people are going to like that Instagram post because it's just like, well, you're standing with a guy. You know, but if they had the African headdress and the wrap and everything, they'd be like, whoa, that's amazing. Okay, so we just have to remember that we're, missions is reaching the lost. And in Switzerland, less than 3% of the population claim Jesus as Lord. Here in America, and I've, we have some beads out there at the table, and we have some white beads and a red jar. Or, sorry, never mind. I'm not going to explain it. If it's out there and you want to ask questions about it, go for it. But anyway, when, when we have here in America, a lot of times we'll have 20 to 25% of people that would say, I am a born-again Christian. Jesus is my Lord. Now, that's 20 to 25%. That means 75 to 80% still don't know Jesus. That's a lot of people to still be reached, right? But then we go over to Switzerland, and we have 97% of the people who say, no, Jesus isn't Lord. I'm born again? That's weird. And so we have a lot more people over there. And, and if you think about that, we have to talk about access. Like, we've talked about lost, and people are lost here in America, just like people are lost over in Switzerland and in Europe. But we have to talk about the, the matter of access, of people that can, they don't have a friend of a friend of a friend that is following Jesus. Like, the, there's, there's a, a, a longer distance. Um, it's, it's not as easy to hear who Jesus really is, what he's really done. The message, oh boy, the message of the church in Europe has been, you know, you, you follow the religion that the king follows, otherwise you're going to get your head chopped off. There's a lack of the love of Jesus in that statement right there. You know, that's just, it's only falling short of the love of Jesus. And so in Europe, what they've heard for so long is, like, yeah, the, 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 this religion thing, this whole Jesus thing, no, I've been there, done that, and it's caused my family and my ancestors a whole lot of pain. And so why did we have the Anabaptists, the Amish, the Mennonites come over here to America? Freedom of religion. Where did they come from? From England, from Europe, way back in the 1600s. And so even back then, that was happening. So um, I, there's some, some ways, okay, we can do this. There's some ways to pray for us. It would be wonderful if you could pray for us in some certain ways here. First of all, that the Swiss would be open to the gospel message that Jesus loves them, 
And like the songs that we were singing today, we are free. We have been given a new life. The chains are gone. We are a new creation in Christ that they would see the beauty of the gospel. That's one way to pray. Another way, God has called us to plant networks of home churches. I'm going to get that to that in just a minute. Networks of home churches. And if you could pray that those home churches would be planted right now with the people that God has placed in our path over there as partners, uh, Swiss pastors and, and, and those people that God has just divine set up there, that God would do that now while we're here. Uh, visa issues and return date would be another thing to be praying about. We can't get a visa right now into Switzerland. I think I shared about this a little bit when I was here before. Um, Visa is, a, is just a difficult issue in Switzerland. It's a money thing a lot of times. And, and we, can't, we can't live there right now. So we're praying that God would open up that door for us to be able to live there in Switzerland because it's sort of hard to plant a church when you're living two and a half hours away from planting that church. That's just, I don't know how that works. So pray that we would get over there. Right now there are no Assembly of God missionaries living in Switzerland. So if you could be praying for that. And also how to, how to partner with us in prayer. Or, or for, if God lays it on your heart and you want to give more money through LifeWay to support and to partner with us, hey, we would love it if you'd be praying about that. Um, we have a newsletter that we send out once a month via email. Uh, we have a sign-up sheet out in the lobby there uh, along with some prayer cards and stuff. If you'd like to sh- sign that, uh, give us your information, we'd love to stay in contact with you that way. Um, and, and, and there is one last prayer request, and, I, and this is one that I share everywhere I go because I, I believe that God has laid it on my heart to share it and something, yeah, it's sort of an obedience thing, so I'm going to share it. If you've heard it before, I'm sorry, bear with me here. Okay, so um, it was about a year and a half ago, I was with some guys and we were traveling through Switzerland just praying in different areas. It was a missions trip, but a missions trip in Switzerland looks different because you can't do building programs, you can't do clothing, you can't do food, or anything. there's just no need there of that. And so we were just going through different areas and just praying, praying with pastors who uh, were already, you know, building the church there and just asking them, okay, in this different region, like, what, how would you like us to pray? Or uh, we would go to places where the church wasn't. And this one day, we were at a train station, and the train station is still the center of town in these, these European cities, and it was about noon, and my four friends and I, we sat down, and we just, we just started to pray. And as my one friend was praying, he told me to, or God told me to pick my head up and just tell him what I saw, just to report back to him. And so I, I started to, and I, I started to say, well, okay, um, I see people that are wealthy. I see people that are, they've, they've got nice clothes. Their shoes probably are you know, nicer than mine. They're attractive. They look healthy. And it started to get pretty bleak. I felt like, come on, I'm the missionary. I'm supposed to give them something, but I don't see anything that they need. What, what, what's, what's the point of this, God? And God said, keep reporting. And so I, about that time, I noticed that a lot of people were starting to smoke. This is not a bash on you if you smoke. You already know it's terrible for you. But this is something just that I noticed. And maybe I'm just a judgmental guy, but that healthy didn't look so healthy anymore. That, honestly, that attractive didn't look so attractive anymore because I knew what was going on in the inside. I knew what they were breathing in. 
and the, the junk that was going on in there, the death that was happening there. And, and that's when God really spoke. And he said, this is what I see all over Switzerland. I see people who are beautiful on the outside. I see death on the inside. I see no hope, no life. And he said, I want you to pray that these people would be miserable until they come to me and I can transform the inside to match the beauty of the outside. Now, that's a strange prayer, to pray for people to be miserable. As a minister, I'm not used to praying that way for people. It's just a strange prayer, you know? And so I had a hard time with that, but then I was reading a few, months, a few weeks later, Isaiah 19. It's a, a prophecy against the country of Egypt. And in this prophecy, it's funny because it starts out and it looks like a prophecy against, but it's actually a prophecy for Egypt. And it comes to a head in, in verse 22. I think we have that one. If we could put that up there. Isaiah 19, verse 22 says... I will strike the nation of Egypt. But he doesn't just stop there. He says, I will strike and heal them. Now, I can't strike and heal someone. That's why, you know, praying for somebody to be miserable. I'm hoping for the long-term goal of them to be healed and to broaden all the goodness and fullness of Christ. And so it's really weird to start with a striking. Like if I were to hit you and while you're on the ground, I say, oh, here's a Band-Aid. And like, that's just crazy. Like you'd be like, well, you're kooky. Why don't you leave me alone? Because you're nuts. But with God, that is possible. And, and this is how it happens. When the gospel message hits someone, it happens in two phases. The first phase is where it hits you and strikes you. And you say, I've got nothing in light of holy God. I am sinful. I've got no worth. I, I mean, in light of, of who you are, God, like when our eyes are really open to who he really is, nothing, got nothing. But it doesn't stop there. The gospel continues in the second movement of, but you are more loved and accepted than you could have ever dreamed because of what Jesus has done. So this striking of, wow, I've got nothing to, wow, I'm so loved and accepted. It's a striking and a healing. And that's what we're praying for Switzerland, that God would strike the nation of Switzerland, but he wouldn't stop there. He would heal them as their eyes are turned up to him. So if, if you could be praying that one too that God would strike and heal the nation of Switzerland. Um, I want to talk from um, Acts chapter 10 for a couple minutes today. I, I want to sort of tell you a, like a little more of our story and where God took us from that. You know, hey, God, if we could be doing anything, we'd be in Switzerland or Germany building your kingdom and sort of bring you up through about a two-year journey. I mean, it'll only take about four hours to go through it, so that's totally fine, right? So we'll just go through it a little bit. Sort of, I'll give you all the gory details. No, I'm just kidding. But we'll just go through it. And just to, what, what, I, what I really want to challenge you today is, is your faith. Um, f faith is, it isn't just a belief. It's a belief that is followed by an action. That, that's the way it always is. Your faith, uh, James talks about it, your faith without action or works is dead. Um, our, our faith, 
when we really truly believe something, we take action on it. And I want to challenge you on that today. Um, uh, like, okay, if I were to tell you that I gave you a million bucks and it's in your bank account, if you really believed me, if you had faith in that statement, you would probably do something, right? You'd go to the bank and check it out, right? If not, then you don't really believe me. There's an action that follows that. How many of you set an alarm clock every day? Okay, I, I set an alarm clock. That's an action of faith right there. You set that alarm clock believing that the sun is going to come up tomorrow. Okay? If you didn't believe it, you wouldn't set the alarm. you just go to sleep and be like, okay, it's all over. But you do it every day. There's faith, there's a belief, and it's followed by an action. And I know that a lot of us would say, I believe Jesus. I believe, and I'm going to follow him all of my days. And I believe that he's going to give you, and he's already given you, a specific next step in that following of him. So I'm going to test your faith a little bit today and see where you're at with that. For us, it, uh, okay, so we said, yeah, God, if I could do anything, we'd be over in Switzerland or Germany building your kingdom. A couple days later, I'm getting ready in the morning, and I say, God, uh, okay, so Switzerland, Germany, that's like uh, 90 million people or so. Can you give us something a little more specific than that? And I heard the word Obersaxon. Don't usually hear that when I'm praying. I don't know about you, but Obersaxon popped into my head that day. And so we looked it up and found out it's this small town in Switzerland. And so he said, okay, we'll go to, go to Switzerland. We'll, we'll check that out. We'll go out there. So for the next two years, we're talking with people and we're sharing our story and saying, we really think God's called us to Switzerland because he said this Obersaxon thing. And so, I, so we're going to go. So we get approved to be missionary associates. That's like an intern missionary kind of thing. And so we, we go there and uh, we have to live in Germany because of the visa thing back then. Same issue back then as, as it is now. And we get, to, we get to Germany there and after we've set up the house and get the kids enrolled in school and all this kind of stuff, we just take a break and say, we need a breather. We need to get away for a couple days because uh, this, this has been gruesome. So we, we go and travel a little bit and we see that we're, we're going through Switzerland. And if we just take this little detour, we would make it to this mythical Obersaxon place. And so we, we get there to the area and we're driving up this crazy hill. So it's... It's so like you have a little more hills than we do up in Flatland, Cleveland on the east west side. But I mean, this is this is a like I would call it a canyon, but it's actually a valley and it's really narrow and it goes up on either side a thousand feet, and then it levels out a little bit of a plateau and then it goes up another two or three thousand feet. It's just so different than what I'm used to. And we're taking this crazy road to get up there, and we're you know these switchbacks and stuff, and there's these. And tractors that are pushing us off the side of the road, and there's cows that are standing on the sides of like really steep hills. I don't know how they do that without just falling over and just flipping over. And like, I don't know how that happens, but like maybe God just gave them one leg that was shorter than the other, and so that they can actually stand there. But it looks weird. It's like, how are you doing this? 
and, and little kids playing on the side of this cliff, and it was just traumatic. And we get up to the top there of Obersex, and, and it's this town, this pretty little town of 300 people. And, and, and we get up there, and I'm not saying very much, because there are many thoughts that are going through my brain. I'm having a lot of conversation with God. I'm saying things like, how could you? And God, you serious? Let us on this wild goose chase? Like, there's no way that you called me to move my family across the world for a town of 300 people. Like, what are we going to do here? We're going to minister to the sheep? I don't, like, there's only, like, 300 people. Are we going to plant a church? We'll get everybody in the whole town to come there? I mean, that would be really great, but, like, really? And after a few deep breaths and a few days of just letting myself cool down and conversations with Aaron, and we decided, I don't know. Once again, this faith, and it requires an action, and this action was, God, okay, I'm just going to get my journal out. What do you want? What are you thinking here? And so I wrote in my journal the, the vision that I feel like God sent to us, and it was to plant a network of home churches in this Ober-Saxon area. I wrote that down, yeah, the September 7th, 2016. And for the next, the next year, now remember, this is two and a half hours away from where we're living, and, and we would just spend as much time that we could down in that area. So we did find a Bible-preaching church, not a Pentecostal by any means, but it, they, at least they were preaching the Bible and we got to know them and tried to see if there were some outreach opportunities we could do with them or get to know the area, got to know that pastor and like, okay, so what, what's the spirit doing here? And what are the strongholds and what are the idols and what, what does that look like here? And after about a year of doing this and overnight trips and stuff, it just felt like it was coming to a dead end. It just felt like, I'd, okay, we took this next step of trying to build a relationship here in this area, but this is a dead end, God. And, and, and I was just having a hard time believing that this was still something that he was calling us to. It just happens after a while. When you're on the road and you're following him, sometimes it's just like, I think I got it right. I don't know, God. Are you really, really serious? Did I just, just eating pizza that day and I just messed with my stomach and brain? I don't know. And so I met the next day after I was really having a hard time with this, I met with a Pentecostal pastor in this eh, state it's sort of hard to say, but it's in the state of Switzerland that Obersaxon is in. And he asked me, and we, he took us out to Burger King so our kids could play in the playground. There's not too many Burger Kings, but we found one. And so they were playing in the playland, and he was talking to me, and he was saying, so why in the world is an American family over here in this, like, no man's land of Switzerland? What are you doing here? Now, there's 200,000 people that live in this area, but it's not like a booming metropolis, you know? And so I told him the story, and I said, this, we really just feel like God's called us to this area. We really don't know what, because I wasn't really thinking this vision anymore. I was really thinking, God, this isn't going to happen. And, and, and I said, I know God's called us here. I, I really just don't know why I'm struggling with it. And, and he said, well, actually, this is sort of funny, because my wife and I, we have been praying for missionaries to come and help us plant here in this area of Switzerland. And so I'm sorry, but I really think that you're here because God answered our prayer. <laughs> be careful what you pray for, folks. <laughs> there might be some people from Switzerland that kind of come over here and help you with your ministry. And I said, really? Like, what? And, and, and he said, yeah. 
I said, so what, what do you want to do? And he said, well, God's really laid it on our hearts to plant networks of home churches in this area. I was like, you, what? Like, God was really speaking? Are you serious? But folks, I'd be lying to you if I told you like this whole time, and I already said it before, but if I believe this whole time, like God said it and I believe it and it's good, that I, it's just not how I made. I'm going to keep thinking and saying this is wrong, this doesn't make sense. What, what do we? And I want to ask you, what has God spoken to you? What, what has he spoken to you that maybe spoke to you a long time ago? Or maybe he's speaking to you right now. But what is he saying to you? Whoops. Okay, Acts chapter 10 finally. Can, can we get there? I'm just going to really read it and just give you a little bit of setup. We're just going to read it because God does this all the time. Our vision, what God gives us in the beginning, it's sort of a, just a step-by-step process that God gives us a little bit and then he keeps moving us forward down the road with each act of obedience and each act of faith that when we put that belief into action with Peter, it started off with him being a fisherman out there and, and, and Jesus came up to him one day and said, I, I want you to be a fisher of men. I don't want you to fish for fish anymore. I want you to fish for men. And then three years later, after Peter denies Jesus, it turns into, Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. And then this is, you know, there's probably many other times where Jesus spoke to him and gave him further directives on what this vision, what this mission is supposed to look like. But here we see even more in Acts chapter 10 of what it's supposed to look like. So if you want to turn there, we are, we're talking to, we're, we're, okay, in this story we're seeing Cornelius, this Roman centurion who instead of worshiping the many, many, many gods that a normal Roman person would worship in those days, Cornelius worships the one true God. And an angel comes and visits him and says, hey, your prayers have gone up before God and he wants to give you something really good. So send for this guy named Peter who lives down by Joppa by the sea. And, and, and there's a really good gift that, that we're about to give you. So hold on. So he sends some people down to Peter. Now, Peter, we have to remember who Peter is first and foremost. Peter, I don't know if he's 25, 30, 35 years old by this point. He's a good Jewish boy. And we think of him as a Christian, but really in his upbringing and his culture and where he feels most at home at is kosher. You know, it's, it's the food laws. It's the, you can only go certain places. You can only go certain places on certain days. Many, many laws that would prohibit him from doing certain things. And God speaks really crazy message to this good Jewish boy. So I'm just going to read here Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 21-ish. About noon, the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, these are these guys that are coming from Cornelius, that Cornelius sent down there. Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven open, and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. Verse 12, it contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. 
And in verse 14, remember, good Jewish boy, there's, there's reptiles on there, there's alligators, snakes, there's pigs probably on there. Totally off limits for a good Jewish boy. Verse 14, surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I'm a good Jewish boy. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And so this happened three times. What is it with Peter and things having to be done three times? I'm not sure. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. And while Peter was wondering about the meaning of this vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. And they called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about this weird, crazy vision that he just had and the meaning about it, the men sent by Cornelius was found out where Simon's house was, and they stopped at the... Sorry, I just read that again. Verse 19. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Can we say that again together? So get up and go downstairs. Okay, one more time. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. And so Peter, still having no idea what's going on, who these two guys are out there, not knowing what this vision means, he goes and he talks to them and and he says, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? Now, for Peter, the next act of obedience was to walk down the stairs. He didn't really get anything else than that. He, He didn't really know where he was supposed to go. And honestly... These were not good Jewish boys that were talking to him and looking for him. And so Peter, um, he just went. He wasn't even supposed to go in their house. But he just had this crazy vision and it just opened his eyes up to the next thing. And, And so Peter does go and Peter does proclaim the gospel and these people, they, start, they get baptized with the Holy Spirit and they start speaking in tongues just like with what Peter, what happened to him back in the day with his friends in the upper room and he says, whoa, I thought this thing was just for Jews. This, wait, this thing is for, this good message, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this empowerment from on high is also for Non-Jews? For Gentiles? What? And thank God that Peter obeyed. Because he obeyed you and I, I'm not Jewish, you and I have access to the gospel. This one act of obedience that he had no idea where he was going and was no idea where it was going to take him opened the door to the rest of the world to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And don't want to put any pressure on you. But the act of obedience that you don't or do take now can impact generations and thousands, millions. I don't know. But it really takes you putting your money where your mouth is. I believe the Holy Spirit speaks to his people. The sheep know his voice. What is he saying to you? For me, honestly, it just looked like I was running, was taking a run down the road the other day, and I really felt like God wanted me to say hi to this guy who was working on his yard. 
So I turned around and said hi to him, and we talked a little bit. He's a neighbor, so maybe something will happen there. I don't know. Uh, it, it looked like joining a volleyball team when I was over there in Europe, and that got me around non-Christians. Uh, honestly, I think what the Lord is going to speak to a lot of us is to get around more people who don't know Jesus. And don't be afraid of them pulling you down. Now, okay, we have, you know, like if you're an alcoholic, okay, obviously there are places you should not go. Like if you're recovering from that. But if they don't hear from your mouth, like chances are they're not going to just walk in on a church on a Sunday morning. It's just not going to happen. Their open door to the gospel of Jesus is being befriended by a Christian and seeing, wait a second, I thought all crazy, all Christians were like crazy, but this person needs sort of normal. This is weird. And it opens them up to saying, wait, maybe I could listen to what they have to say. And what is he saying to you? To, like for Peter, it was really weird like to get him way out of his comfort zone, way out of his comfort zone. What is he speaking to you? That coworker, what does it look like for you to walk down the stairs? Um, Pastor Travis, if you want to come on up. And, and, and what I've asked Pastor Travis, if we just have like a couple minutes where we're, he plays and we just listen. Can we do that? It really doesn't make much sense for me to preach a while and for me to not give you an opportunity to let the Lord speak. So, hey, praise the Lord. If you could just close your eyes, or I, I don't know, whatever you want to do, kneel or stand or whatever it looks like to you. You know, when, I, when I'm asking the Lord to speak, it's a daily thing, a daily prayer that I have. Lord, this, this is the prayer. Lord, I thank you so much that you have spoken to me before, and I thank you that you want to speak to me today. Open my ears so that I can hear what you have to say. Now, it doesn't make much sense if I go into this whole thing and I say, God, you never speak to me and you're probably never going to speak to me and this is really stupid for me even to try to listen. You've sort of shot yourself on the foot right there, right? But if you take that posture of saying, Lord, you have spoken, I wouldn't be here today if you hadn't. And I thank you that you're going to speak now. And then listen, he's going to speak.